Let's continue our study of Hebrews this morning by turning to the book of Hebrews in our Bibles once again, chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. Let me begin reading this morning of verse 13. For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply you. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. Thus God determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath. That by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. Shall we pray together this morning? Lord God, we pray together, asking your blessing upon your word. Pray you bless your people with this word. You've told us, Lord, that your word does not return void. When you speak your word out, it powerfully achieves the goal for which you have sent it. Lord, achieve goals in our lives this morning and send your word into hearts and minds and adapt us to your word, not your word to us. Change us, Lord, in the way we understand and in the way we hope. Secure for us this day an unchanging confidence. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We are going on to maturity. And in maturity, we need to be able to articulate in confidence our status with the Lord. Are you able to answer this question? It shows the maturity or immaturity. And the level to which you can answer it shows the depths of your understanding or the need for growth. Hebrews have been admonished about being baby-like in their understanding and have been then pushed along by the writer of Hebrews to maturity. And he refuses to go back and lay the groundwork. He simply mentions it, preaches the hardest, most difficult passage about salvation in or out in Hebrews 6, particularly verses 5, 6, 7, and 8. And then he goes on, to exclaim that he's confident about better things concerning you, concerning them. Things which accompany salvation. He has an expectancy that they will grow in their maturity of where they stand with God. Are they saved or unsaved? Are they one of God's children through Christ Jesus the Lord? Or are they in the state of unbelief? Are they in the grace of Christ? Or are they under the pronouncement 
of judgment of Christ? Those are the only questions that really matter at some point. Those are the questions that will matter on your deathbed. Those are the questions that will answer as you walk in life. Those are the questions that matter at three in the morning when you wake up. Where am I with God? Since we live in a world that has embraced so much shallow Christianity, it is incumbent upon us to move away from that and get to deep Christianity. For the deep are well-rooted and strong, and the shallow are blown over and blown about by every wind of doctrine. That means every sort of crazy teaching that's out there affects them. We would not be so. The writer of Hebrews is presenting us with three specific lists, and I've categorized them for you, of things which accompany salvation. So if you're saved, this walks with your salvation. So if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, these are things that are part of you because you've been born again. Things that accompany salvation. And, and he does that so that each believer may be able to make a mature accounting of their own self. As the accountant uh, counts the beans, if you will, counts the inflow and the outflow and comes out with a precise number, so we make accounting. Also, looking at our own personal histories, our historical chronicle. What is the content and the character of your life? Pre-Christ, post-Christ. Pre-Christ should be different than post-Christ, meaning before you believed, you were this way, and now you can see growth in your life because you're saved. The scary thing is, is if you call yourself a Christian and there's no change. It's not scary for me. It's not scary for God. It's scary for you. Because you could be one of the ones who've fallen away because you were never in. The big question is, am I in Christ or am I out? And how do I know? We've been looking at that, and the first list we looked at over the last few weeks is the five works of salvation that go along with the unflagging diligence. You will have a never-tiring di diligence. Does that mean you never get tired at all physically? No, but that you always keep coming back to do these works because God has encouraged you to do them in your word, in his word, and you want to do them. You want to, for instance, do this list in chapter 6, verse 10 of Hebrews. These things that God will not forget. Your work, your work, those things you've done in God's name. And of your love, which you have shown toward his name. And that you minister to the saints. There's another one. And do still continue to minister tirelessly. You keep coming back to minister to your brothers and sisters. And then that you have a full assurance of hope to the end, verse 11. And that you do not become sluggish, but you imitate those who through faith and patience inherit uh, the promise. Faith, believing what God said. Patience, waiting for all that God said to take place. Now, example. An example for us to follow of unchangeable confidence. The second list is of unchangeable confidence in the promise of God. Unchangeable confidence 
in the promise of God. You don't change your mind because God does not change. So I want to give you three, three unchangeable confidences that every Christian should carry, should hold to. And the first is this, and it's given to us by way of example in verse 13. It is confidence in God who swore to Abraham. Let me say that again. Confidence in God who swore to Abraham, verse 13. Listen. For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing... I will bless you, and multiplying, I will multiply you. God, in his dealings with Abraham, calling him out of Ur of the Chaldees to go to a country that he did not even know, he did the swearing of the oath. God swore. God did the swearing. God swore, he promised in Genesis chapter 12. Before he gets the name Abraham, Father Abraham, he is now a childless Abram. And in Genesis chapter 12, the Lord said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land I will show you. There's the command. Here's the promise. Here is God swearing to Abraham what he will do. To a land, he even says in the first place, I will show you. Keep in mind he hadn't shown Abraham or Abram the land yet. He said, leave and later I will show you. Every human in the world, when someone of greater authority says leave, asks the natural, natural question, where am I going and why? Well, God's going to tell him later where he's going, but first he's going to tell him the why, and the why is based on God's desire from himself to make a promise to an unknown Abram. And here's what God does. Verse 2, Genesis 12. God says, I will make you a great nation. I want you to look at and, and take note of every time God says, I will. I will make you a great nation. Why should I leave? I will make you a great nation. That sounds good. That means I have to live. I have to live to become a great nation. So this is probably a good thing. And it also is an influence upon him that he will have progeny, that from him will come people. Second, I will bless you. I will bless you. God says, I promise to be a blessing to you. I will give you good things. I promise. I will lay my goodness upon you, my favor upon you. And not only that, I'll make your name great. None of us care about those kinds of things, humble as we are. We do not desire the pedestal. We do not desire the forefront. We do not desire to stand out. We don't want the recognition. We don't want great names. Far be it from me, Lord. 
But God promises to this man a great name and even this. Notice this. And you shall be a blessing. You know, there's some people that are a pain. I'm just stopping there. They're a pain. And there's some that are a blessing. And if you want to spend a long time on a long trip in a closed car, and you're going to choose who you're going to ride with, do you want the pain or the blessing? And to be a blessing, because God even makes you one, is part of his promise. I'll be a blessing. Listen, verse 3 of chapter 12 of Genesis, God says again, I will Bless those who bless you. Not only that, in you being a blessing, those who bless you back, those who show you good favor, those who do good unto you. And you can ask a couple of kings, one of Egypt, one of the Philistines, Bimelech, and ask them how to go when they blessed Abraham. Went well. And by the way, I think Abra that God mentions this is totally for free. It's off the times, off the clock. I think one of the reasons we read about Egypt so much going to be a nation in the kingdom that is blessed is because of Egypt's care for Abraham and Egypt's care for Israel when Joseph went there and provided for them. They protected them. It's just one of the reasons I believe God's doing that. That's for free. We're back on regularly scheduled time. So I'll bless those who bless you like Egypt. I will curse him who curses you. It is a dangerous thing to be a cursor of Israel in the present age or in this age. Some people think this has gone away. We can speak bad against Israel, the people of God, the Jews, one tribe of Israel, and think, oh, God's going to overlook that. There is a big comeuppance going to happen. And it's even worse when it comes into the church, and the church curses Israel and says they have no right. The church has taken from them the promises of God. If the church has taken from Israel the promises of God, then these I wills mean nothing. And I can quit and go home. And this example to the Hebrew church, they're part of the church of Jesus Christ here, and us today has no sway, has no standing. God breaks promises. So why will Israel and why does Israel have a future? Because God keeps his promises. I'd like that to be off the clock too. But I want it well heard. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Not just some of the peoples, not some of the nations, not some of the family groups. He's referring to those who are of the different tribal families of which we're all either of Shem, Ham, or Japheth. And then we all go back to Noah. So we're all in different families, but we all go back to the same one family. They'll be blessed through them. Of course, looking forward to Christ in seed form. God did the swearing to Abraham. That's what our text says. That's what Genesis says. Then even the writer of the Psalms, the psalmist says in Psalm 105, listen to this. It says of God, and by the way, Psalm 105 is all about God keeping his promises. If you want to see God keeping his promises, read Psalm 105. And in Psalm 105, the writer declares this truth. He, God, remembers his covenant forever. God is not a forgetter. God is a 
rememberer. He remembers his covenant forever, the word which he commanded for a thousand generations. Well, that's quite a few. He does not forget, he remembers. And by the way, there have not been a thousand generations. There have been a couple thousand years, but not a thousand generations. The covenant which he made, he remembers for a thousand generations the covenant he made with Abraham and his oath to Isaac. So not only did he promise Abraham, then he went and promised Isaac, the firstborn promised son of Abraham, and confirmed it to Jacob, the next generation. He confirmed it to Jacob for a statute. This is something, write down, have your nation that comes from you, Jacob, known as Israel, that this is my statute forever. An everlasting covenant. So did God mean to promise Israel some good stuff for a while and then, whoop, just kidding. No, you've been too bad, taking it away. He said, I will, I will, I will, I will. And the psalmist says, forever. The psalmist goes on to say in 105.11, saying to you, I will give the land of Canaan as the allotment of your inheritance. The land is part of the promise, and they will have it. Isaiah the prophet also speaks of the swearing of God, that God swears by himself. He swore because there was none other to swear by, and in verse 22 of Isaiah chapter 45 Listen to God crying out, not just to Israel, but to all the ends of the earth. Broadcast this on all the stations around the globe. God says, look to me and be saved. All you ends of the earth. He is identifying himself as the Savior God. He said, for I am God and there is no other. If you want to worship God, there's one choice. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God of the Bible. He's the one God you can choose. There's no others. People make idols and people make God's little g, but nobody who's really a God. This is the one true God. He goes on to say, I have sworn by myself. God swears by himself. The word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return, that to me every knee shall bow and every tongue shall take an oath. I have sworn you will swear. Every people shall bow before me because I am the one true God. I swear by myself. Verse 24, and it shall say, surely in the Lord I have righteousness and strength. To him men shall come. And all shall be ashamed who are incensed against him. All who attack God, all who hate God, all who come against him shall be ashamed. Verse 25, in the Lord all the descendants of Israel shall be justified and shall glory. How many? All the, all the descendants of Israel shall be justified and shall glory. God promised Abraham. We have been encouraged back in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 12, not to become sluggish, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit 
the promises. This is still a future view in mind. And then he speaks directly of Abraham. For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. The highest authority, God authenticated his message to Israel. God keeps his promises. Do you believe it? This was believed from generation to generation to generation. This was held firmly in the hands of those who were true followers of God, even among Israel. And there was one who could not have children, but later was granted that great gift. Father Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus, the herald who would come and say, make straight the ways of the Lord upon his birth and in his prayer. Listen to this man. Here is unchangeable confidence in the promises of God. In Luke chapter 1, verse 67, I read of this man's faith. Now his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. I have to skip down a few verses. Verse 72, to perform, listen, the mercy promised to our father. The mercy promise was the coming of Messiah. John the Baptist was to be his forerunner, and so the mercy would flow from this. Not that they deserved the Messiah, but that God had mercy upon them according to his promise to the fathers. To perform the mercy promised to our fathers, now read on, and to remember his holy covenant. God is not a forgetter. God is a rememberer and a keeper of his covenant. Verse 73, the oath, listen, which he swore to our father, Abraham. This is Zechariah, hundreds of years later, saying, I believe, I believe, I know. The Holy Spirit incites him to say these truths. Verse 74, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, why? Might serve him without fear. When has Israel known that? serve their God without fear. This is a promise yet awaiting fulfillment. And Zechariah placed his confidence firmly in the unchangeable person of God who swore, and he is in basic terms saying, I trust God's promise. See, here's where Satan likes to wheedle his way in. Here's where the doubts try to come. And they come at the promises of God given to God's people. And that's why we always end up asking the question, am I saved or not? Am I a true believer or not? Part of the way you know is, what promises are you hoping in? Do you believe that after these 2,000 plus years, Jesus is still coming back or not? There are plenty who say, you don't really believe that, do you? You know, I'll grant you that that Jesus character was a really nice guy and perhaps a fine carpenter. Pretty good at loving people and carrying sheep around. 
risen from the dead? Coming back again? Really? Setting up a kingdom? You buy that? I mean, haven't you been to college? You're probably uneducated. I'm sure you're uneducated. You've got to be just, you know, a little bit dull in the old beam of that uh, light there. But how nice for you. I hope that helps. Don't you see what science tells us? You know, this is where he even gives you a list. Well, you know, Satan tries to say, well, you're not saved, so what do you worry about that promise for? I saw you last week. You didn't do this. You lied about that. You weren't careful here. You didn't love here. You start thinking, oh, it's right. And then the other will come along and say, oh, but there is no law. You need to come up to where it's higher and freer and fly like an eagle. Let yourself free to be who you are. If God made you an eagle, fly. Do whatever you want because you're an eagle. Aren't we spiritual? Those might say, well, you just haven't understood the deeper things. And we, our group has the hidden knowledge. Let us give it to you. Then you can be sure. Then you'll be on the higher plane. Would you trust the promise of God? Should Pastor Fred trust in himself? I say that because you're afraid to. Say it to yourself. What do you really trust in? Are these promises made so many hundreds of years ago your promises? The God who promised and swore by himself, is he real? Well, here's how you know. God did the swearing. Abraham did the waiting. Your job isn't to swear. Matter of fact, I can swear something to you. I won't follow God perfectly, I swear. I wish I could follow God perfectly, but I can swear by one thing I know, that I'm fallible. I've made promises and broken them. Have you? I've made promises to myself. Sometimes the promise is I'm never doing that again. And then broke that too. Or am I trusting in the promise? Have you read Abraham in the Bible? I mean, you know that liar lied about his wife to save his skin, not just once, but twice. He's a liar. And he's supposed to be the example of faith here? I mean, this is these who faith and patience inherit the promise. So if your wife's supposed to have a kid by you, and you lie and let the king of Egypt take her, I mean, I'm not real smart, but that don't seem like faith. Right? Who does he remind you of? 
You guys. Us guys. Who has two thumbs and fails the Lord? This guy. Who swears by himself unfailingly? God. I trust in God and wait with Abraham. Hebrews 6.15 So after he had patiently endured, so it says of Abraham, he obtained the promise. How do you know you're saved? You keep patiently enduring. You keep failing and getting back up again, trusting in the promise. Genesis 22.15 Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By the way, God had sworn to Abraham in Genesis 12. God had sworn to Abraham in Genesis 15. And now we're all the way to Genesis 22. And I think Abraham being a man is starting to wonder, I'm ready. The angel of the Lord called Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord. Who did he swear by? Himself. Because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, Blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply your descendants. Well, what's the context here? God had fulfilled his promise to Abraham and gave him a son Isaac, and then in the midst of that glory, his son raised up, this is my son Isaac. God says, take Isaac, put him on an altar, sacrifice him to me. Come back? Hello? There's a connection trouble here. And Abraham goes from the liar to the son's sacrificer. He grew up in maturity. You did not withhold your son, your only son, the son of promise. Blessing, I will bless you and multiply, and I will multiply your descendants. As the stars of the heaven, and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. Listen, verse 18, in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. And after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. So Abraham returned to his young men and they rose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham dwelt at Beersheba. God does the swearing and Abraham did the waiting and so do we. In Romans chapter 4, Paul says, Therefore it is a faith that it might be according to grace so that the promise might be sure to all the seed. Not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. Those who believe the promises of God are of Abraham, the promise believer. Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, Paul goes on to say, I have made you a father, not just of Israel, but of many nations. 
in the presence of him whom he believed. God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Who contrary to hope, in hope believes. See, our hope is contrary to hope. It doesn't make any sense. People tell you, no, Israel, they're done for. What are you, what are you looking to that for? This Jew, this Jesus, who is he? Didn't he die? What good is that? It's contrary that we should believe he's coming back again to set up a literal kingdom here on earth and there's whole denominations who still deny it and call themselves believers. It goes on to say, according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be, God had said. And listen, and not being weak in faith, listen to this, and not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about a hundred years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. This is hope beyond hope. They're old people. You know, some of us are becoming old people. Some of you are old people. Some of you young people don't know what he's talking about. But let me tell you, you will always be able to do what you can do. Or could do. And having children is a brief window of time. Can I have an amen? So let me tell you something. Young people, children, get busy. Have children while you can because it's temporary. And this even declares it. He's 100 years old. 100-year-old guys don't father children. Neither did Sarah, who was his junior, but by 10 years. And yet she did. It's contrary to all hope. But he did not waver in the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. Verse 21 of Romans, And being fully convinced that, that what he had promised, he was able to perform, and therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. Are you saved? Do you believe the promises of God? Do you believe the promises of God when it's contrary to everything else around you? Then you're saved. Because it don't make sense to believe what you believe in a worldly sense. Because they do not understand the things of God. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imparted to him. Abraham believed God and righteousness was imparted to him. And it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. It's for you. It's for me. It's for us. That it shall be imputed to those who believe in him. means the righteousness of Jesus gets placed upon Abraham because he believed God. And the righteousness of Jesus gets placed upon us. Why? Because I'm so good? Because I did everything right? Because I fly like an eagle? No, it's because I believe God. Because he swore by himself, and we do the waiting. Those of us who believe, it shall be imputed to us who believe in him, who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised for our justification. We believe he died in our place. 
Therefore, James says, listen, therefore, James says, listen, be patient. <laughs> okay. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. That means he's coming, and so be patient until he comes. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. You live every day in the promise of the coming King Jesus to set up his kingdom. Do you know that that's coming? Do you believe that that's coming? Do you let the, the news media undermine that? Do you let the financial reports take that away? Do you let the problems in your family, whether they be health problems or relationship problems or all the other problems in the, in the cornucopia of life, let you lose your focus that Jesus is coming again? And if you're a believer, you cannot, you will not, you won't, because he who promised is faithful. We wait. We wait with Abraham. We wait with Isaac. We wait with Jacob. By the way, we wait for Simeon. There is a man who is waiting. See, I wish people would be told this about Christianity earlier on in their Christian walk, don't you? That Christianity is about waiting. And while you wait, you work for Jesus. But you wait. You're going to have to wait. Because faith is about waiting for what you believe in, what you hope for. There was a man, an old man. An old man in the Bible. He's in Luke chapter 2. And Jesus is being brought to the temple as just a babe to fulfill the law. And there was a, behold, a man in Jerusalem chapter 225, whose name was Simeon, and this man was just and devout. It means he knew the scripture, and he followed the scriptures. And what was he doing? What was his purpose? He's waiting for the consolation of Israel, waiting for God to deliver Israel as he said he would. He's living right now under Roman domination, and the king over Israel isn't even a Jew, isn't even of Israel, Zidumian, Herod. And he's waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ, the Lord's Mashiach, the Lord's Deliverer, the Lord's Anointed One. So he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, you kind of wonder what the exchange of child was like there, don't you, a little bit? You brought him in, and here comes this way old man, and he comes up to Mary, and he just takes Jesus Christ and said, Lord, now, you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. He's waiting. 
What are you waiting for? We're waiting for the same thing. When Christ will come a second time. He waited in hope. God does the swearing. We do the waiting. God swore by himself. We can trust it. Secondly, confidence that God does not swear as men do. God is not like us. Verse 16, back in Hebrews 6, For men indeed swear by the greater, and the oath for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. So if you really want to convince somebody that you're telling the truth and your promise, you know, you have to lend some weight to it, right? And the reason you have to lend some weight to that is because people know that other people lie, right? Other people change the truth. I mean, is there any uh, evidence of that in our national uh, countings these days? Who can you trust? Or am I the only guy that says that? Can I trust you? How do I know I can trust you? How many times have you been lied to? So liars, they like to swear oaths. I always watch somebody when they say, well, I can tell you something now. I'm telling you the truth. I'm always like, okay. I'm ready. Let me give you a little tip here when you... Somebody tells you something you're pretty sure it's not true and you don't want to say, liar, liar, pants on fire, nose as long as a telephone wire. Say this. That's remarkable. Yeah, isn't that good? I got that from Vicky's old aunt. I've been passing that along totally for free. It's not really part of my sermon at all. <laughs> but it does give you something to say without having to say, I don't believe you. Trust me. Men swear by a greater. They need some higher authority to appeal to. And so it says, well, I'm dependable. Uh, I swear my mother's grave. Well, she's dead. What's she going to do to you? And even Jesus got after the Pharisees for swearing by certain things in the temple of God and not swearing by other things. Wasn't it Jesus who said, let your yes be yes and your no, no. See, your integrity will carry it. God's integrity carries his own yes by itself. God swears, and there's no greater for God to swear by, so he doesn't try, but he reminds you that we try to do that so that we'll realize he's the highest source of all truth. Genesis 14, 22. Abraham is returning back from a victory where he released Lot from the captivity of kings who'd taken over Sodom, meets the high priest of Melchizedek, and Abraham said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the, to the Lord God Most High, the possessor of heaven, that I will not take anything from a thread or to a sandal strap, but I will not take anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abraham great. I made Abram great. So he swears by God because that's a higher source. In Genesis 21, 23, King of Imelech and Pishgol are in the context. And Abraham was well. And Abimelech is 
calling on Abraham to swear, and he wants him to swear by his God. Now, therefore, swear to me by God that you will not deal falsely with me, with my offspring, or with my posterity, but that according to the kindness that I've done to you, you will do to me and to the land in which you have dwelt. By the way, this was sealed by Beersheba, which means the well of the oath that Abraham took. As I mentioned, the Pharisees before were swearing by him who sits on it. I skipped that reference, and for time's sake, I'm going to take you to point number three in your notes. There should be an associated confidence that God swore an immutable promise. An immutable promise. Look at Hebrews 6, 18 now. Listen, that by two immutable things, that's a good word, you should know it, by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation, pay attention now, who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. Immutable means unchangeable. The character of God, the person of God, and the promises of God are unchangeable. So God's very person is unchangeable. It's impossible for God to lie. He can't do it. Fallen man can do it easily. But God does not lie. He is not like men. There is none unchangeable like God, none who are uh, immutable in whom we can trust. And God declares again, I wanted to read that verse first because there's two words in it. We might have strong consolation, listen, who have fled for refuge. You know what a refuge is? It's a hideout. It's where you can go to safely hide. And Christians hide in the promises of God. And then we hold out who have fled for refuge, listen to the way the text goes, to lay hold of the hope set for us. It's like running into the temple of God, laying hold of the horns of the altar, and you're trusting the promises of God, and you're going to hold on. Because God doesn't change. Isaiah said in chapter 14, verse 26, this is the purpose that is purposed against the whole earth and this is the hand that is stretched out over all the nations for the Lord of hosts listen has purposed and who will annul it who can undo what God said will be done the question is rhetorical we answer no one who can undo what the Lord has purposed who will annul it his hand is stretched out and who will turn it back? Isn't that a picture? You know, God stretched out his hand to do something like, oh, get away, get away, get away. Are we going to turn back God back on his purposes for Israel? To place them solidly in the land that they might be there, that they will be regathered for the day when Jesus shall descend from heaven with a trumpet and stand with his feet on the Mount of Olives and it shall be cleft in two 
And Jerusalem shall rise up, and the valley and the plain below shall be leveled out. An amphitheater to God will come. And Israel shall be there. And the believing nations shall be there. And the promises of God will be fulfilled there. And from the temple shall flow a river. It's in your Bible. Shall anyone tell him he's not going to do it? The unalterable God in his thoughts and in his purposes. Isaiah 14 again, verse 26. This is the purpose that is purposed against the whole earth, and this is the hand that is stretched out over all the nations. For the Lord of hosts has purposed it, and who will annul it? His hand is stretched out. Who will turn it back again, he says. He is invariable. No one will turn him away. These promises are unbreakable. In Jeremiah 33, I read verse 19. For the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying, listen to this. Have, have you contemplated this? You know, a lot of people contemplate the skies. You know, even this morning as I went out early with a few of the Schneider kids, I looked up and saw the stars in the sky the constellations that were there, and I, they were asking me a question about it. I said, you have to ask Lori, I don't know. But aren't they pretty? Aren't they magnificent? Well, listen to this. And the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying, thus says the Lord, if you can break my covenant with the day and my covenant with the night so that there shall not be day and night in their season, then... So if you can stop the sun from coming up and you can stop the sun from going down, then my covenant may also be broken with David, my servant. Don't people read their Bibles? This is in there. God is saying that the sun comes up, it's confirmation of my promise to David. That his throne would be a forever throne. That his children would sit on the throne forever. You can't break it. Then my covenant also shall be broken with my servant David, so that he shall not have a son to reign on his throne. And with the Levites, the priests, my ministers... As the host of heaven, listen, as the host of heaven cannot be numbered. Can I say something? They'll never count all the stars. They'll never count all the planets. You know how I know? It's in the Bible. Ah, oh, but see, you just don't really understand. We're discovering new galaxies all the time. And we're cataloging them and we're naming them. And you can even send in 50 bucks and name yourself after one of them. We're going to get this all done and we're going to go to space. The final frontier. I say to that, good luck. And I know they won't because God said they won't. The host of heaven cannot be numbered, listen, nor the sand of the sea measured. So I will multiply the descendants of David, my servants, and the Levites who minister to me. 
So who's lying? The world? Or God? Who made the heavens? No scientist ever did. These things are fixed. They're hard and fast. Unbreakable as the covenant promise of Jesus Christ. As Malachi said in 3.6, For I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. When we read our Bibles and we read about Israel, are they worthy to be saved? No, that's why they need mercy. So when you look at your life and you say, am I saved because I'm so good? So I've kept myself in. I've really thinked up a lot of faith. So God's got to save me. I'm still in. If that's how you think, you're thinking baby thoughts. But when you're believing in the promises of God that he gave, and that's how you know you need mercy because you don't deserve what you're getting. You don't deserve salvation any more than Israel did. That's why they're such a great example for us. But no, we read about that and say, oh, those idiots, what's wrong with them? Had I been in Israel, I would have kept every service day. I would have been there a day every time we're supposed to give the right offering. You can't even make it to church on Sunday. What are you talking about? And if it's about that, we're all out. I think I'm a little worked up. And part of it is, is I detest those who would undermine the promises of God and replace them with the works and thoughts of men. Because they undermine the faith of the faithful. God keeps his promises even in the face of rebellious sin even by believers. David is still in after Bathsheba. David is still saved after the murder Uzziah, Hittite. David is still in after he numbered Israel. I'm not saying go out and sin. I'm not being a libertine. I'm just saying God's merciful. Listen to Romans 11 about the Jews, specifically his people, about Israel. This of God, says Paul, the gifts, listen, the gifts, listen, the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. They're irrevocable. He doesn't take them back. For as you were once disobedient to God, yet have now obtained mercy through their disobedience. He's speaking to the Gentiles. Even so these also who have been disobedient, Israel, that through the mercy shown you, they also may obtain mercy. For God has, listen to this, God has committed them all to disobedience that he might have mercy on all. So he makes Israel in a state of disobedience so you can believe. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, he exclaimed. Are you saved? All you can say is, oh, the depth 
and the riches of both the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. I can't believe I'm saved. I shouldn't be. But I trust in the promises of God because he's merciful. He promised. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become his counselor or who has first given to him and it should be repaid to him for of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. Truly. So are you tired of being disappointed? Are you tired of your trust being betrayed by political leaders? by scientists, by judges in the justice system, by corporations, by sports teams, by athletes, can, can I go on, by one another, then trust must be placed in the unchangeable, immutable God. A confidence that goes on based on the promise, for he swore by himself and he does not lie. Are you saved? I'm saved by the promise of God through Jesus Christ, his promised son. The end. Let's pray. Strengthen us, Lord, who are your saved people, that our confidence would be in your unchangeable promises rather than our changing selves and our changing world. Let us wait patiently with Abraham. Let us wait with Simeon for the coming of Jesus. Let us live it and proclaim it and trust it. And for those here who have yet not yet placed their trust in God who promised, he promised to save through his son, Jesus Christ. And he said, for whosoever believes in the name of Jesus, shall be saved. That's a promise. Believe it today and be saved. And then tell someone you've said that. So now, Lord, we go out of here, I pray, changed. I pray we're changed by your unchangeableness, that our faith would be full for as you promised Abraham and you delivered, you promised your church through Jesus Christ and you're delivering, and your promises to Israel and the church shall come true. We believe it. In Jesus' name, amen.